gambling played a major role in the lives of the buffalo hunters and cowboys who drove the westward movement of America during the 19th century. The game of chance was dear to the heart of the early frontiersmen, who spun the wheel on liquor, lust, and luck. Whether it was a game of poker played on a blanket, or a faro bet placed in a saloon. Like most frontier towns, Dodge City started with a small clump of tents, including first a saloon, a general store, and livery stable. It did not take long for the settlement to expand, and with this expansion, entertainment came with the games of chance. Cards were popular games of chance. The great Texas cattle drives of the 1870s brought hordes of gamblers and willing cowboys to the wide-open railhead towns in Kansas like Dodge City. Once the card games of Faro, Monty, 21, and Poker got started, the clock ran non-stop in places like the Crystal Palace, the Alhambra, the Lady Gay, the Junction Saloon, and the Long Branch. After months of pushing steers up the western trail to the railhead, the cowboy longed for a hot bath, haircut, a good meal, a decent drink of whiskey, a woman companion, and a chance of bucking the tiger at the faro tables. The faro game was also called bucking the tiger, or twisting the tiger's tail. This was because during the 1830s, a faro playing kit was often carried in a mahogany box with a royal Bengal tiger painted on the cover. Players adopted the tiger as the presiding deity of the game. The name also fits because of the fast pace of the game, the large stakes played, and the devastating losses suffered by some players and dealers. Some gambling houses would simply hang a picture of a tiger in their windows to advertise that a game could be found within. Men like Richard Dick Clark, who maintained a professional gambler profile, moved along the rail lines setting up gambling establishments in Kansas cattle towns. In 1875, the tall, thin, pale-faced, dark-haired professional gambler arrived in Dodge City. He ran the faro tables at some of the most notorious gambling halls of the day, including the Green Front, the Lone Star, the Crystal Palace, and the Alamo. Between his faro banks and poker games, he managed a very successful run in Dodge City, avoiding any major incidents. The French first brought the faro game to America in the mid-1700s. Legend has it that the first saloon game was set up in 1803 in New Orleans by John Law, an exiled Scotsman. The layout was a rectangular-shaped oil or green felt cloth with 13 pictures of cards from one suit painted on it. The painted suit of cards, usually spades, were painted from an ace through a king in rank. The painted card squares were arranged in two rows of six cards, with the seven of spades sitting to the right of the rows. At the top of the cloth was a bar reading, High Card. Many frontier gamblers like Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday, Bat Masterson, and Luke Short were more than willing to be faro dealers to take on a violent confrontation with an angry loser. The dealer sat on one side of an oblong table with a layout in front of them. The dealer dealt the face-up cards out of a spring-loaded box. To the right of the dealer was the cash box. The cash box contained tokens called checks. The player purchased the sometimes ivory or copper checks from the dealer and used the checks in betting. The dealer printed cards, usually bore the name Pharaoh card. 
These were the most popular Pharaoh cards in the West. They were produced by Samuel Hart and Company of Philadelphia. The company started producing Pharaoh cards in 1868. On the opposite side of the dealer sat the case keeper. The case keeper used a device similar to an abacus, and also served as an armed lookout. The casekeeper role in the game of Pharaoh was to ensure bets were properly played, and to spot a cheating player. The casekeeper box was constructed with a wooden framework supporting 13 wires, on which four small balls or tokens were moved. A miniature reproduction of each card displayed on the layout was painted on the framework. The casekeeper would slide a ball from one side to another as each card was played. This method of sliding the ball as cards were being played allowed players to know exactly which cards had been played and which cards remained in play. Players sat or stood on each side of the casekeeper, placing bets before each turn of the cards. Dodge City was the last and most notorious of the Kansas cattle towns. By 1875, Texas Longhorns were driven to Dodge City, and for 10 years, the small makeshift town on the prairie boomed into a cowboy capital. It became known as the beautiful, babyless Babylon of the frontier. As the cattle drives came up at the western trail into Dodge City, so did the Texas Cowboy. These Texas Cowboys were seasoned Spanish Monte players and were first introduced to the card game at the conclusion of the Mexican War in 1847. These rough and unruly frontier guerrilla fighters learned the game well while occupying Mexico City. It did not take long for the wild and raucous Texans to show other fellow occupying forces the finer points of banking the game as these fellow soldiers entered Mexico City. The origin of Monte goes back to Spain, where the name means mountain or pile, as in a pile of cards. Spanish, or four-card Monte, was a card game popular in Dodge City as played in the saloons and gambling halls of the 1870s and 80s. Texas Cowboys familiar with Monte would crowd around a dealer's table and bet on the turn of a card by the dealer. After shuffling the 40-card Spanish deck of cards, the dealer dealt two cards from the bottom of the deck, lying them face up on the table. What players would see is what is called the bottom layout. The dealer would then deal two cards from the top of the deck by laying them face up on the table, providing the players a view of the top layout. It is at this point in the game where the dealer states, Place your bets, gentlemen, on either layout. After all the bets have been played, the anxious player awaits the dealer to turn the deck over so the bottom, gate card, is face up. If the gate card is the same suit as either of the cards on the top or bottom layout, pays all bets played on the layout. In most cases, the dealer would say, Sorry, gentlemen, the gate card is not the same suit as the cards of any of the bottom or top layouts. The bets are all mine. After the dealer collects all the losing bets, the one-to-one -one winning bets are paid out, and the game starts all over again by the dealer shuffling all the cards. The game was very easy to learn, and the play was lightning fast. As the town grew in reputation, it also attracted gambling men from all over the West. Arriving in Dodge City were well-known gamblers like Luke Short, cockeyed Frank Loving, and Colonel Charlie Norton. One of the most classic poker games ever told was played out in Dodge City, Kansas. On March 24, 1887, ex-governor Thomas Carney gets the 6 o'clock train bound for Dodge City from Leavenworth. 
His express purpose for being in Dodge City was to purchase buffalo hides and bones for a St. Louis firm. While the ex-governor was in Dodge City, he called on a few of the prominent citizens to strike up a game of poker. The poker game had a slow start until drinks were served boosting the stakes in each of the game's play thereafter. In the room that night with Carney laying played out their cards was Norton, Charlie Ronan, and a tinhorn known as Bobby Gill. It was about the third hand of play when the blurred-eyed governor's heart flared in excitement as he held what was supposed to be the invincible hand. Peeking over his five-card hand of four kings and the cutter, or joker, the ex-governor saw Colonel Norton toss out a $100 bill. Carney, with his adrenaline running on high, matched and raised his bet another $100. The betting frenzy continued until every one of the ex-governor's possessions had been taken off and laid out on the table. Laid out in front of both gamblers was a gold watch and chain, shirt studs, cufflinks, and other jewelry. The ex-governor played out his bluff and with a laugh of enthusiasm laid out his hand on the table. The next day, the Dodge City Times headline bore the title, Ex-Governor Carney Goes Broke on a Poker Game in Dodge City. The next eastward-bound freight train carried an old man without shirt, studs, or other ornaments, apparently bowed down by an overwhelming grief, and the conductor hadn't the heart to throw him overboard. The exact origin of poker is unknown, but many have speculated that it originated from a 16th century Persian game called Asnas, played with a 25-card deck containing five suits. The rules were similar to today's five-card stud. Poker in the United States was first widely played in New Orleans by French settlers playing a card game that involved bluffing and betting called Pope. The old poker game was similar to draw poker. In draw poker, all of the cards were dealt face down to each player. After all the cards were dealt, there was a round of betting. In the next round, players discarded any number of cards and received the same number of cards from the dealer. When all players completed their hand, there was another round of betting before a winner was declared. A young gambler, in order to protect themselves among hard-bitten, gun-toting cowboys, practiced daily the fine art of draw and shoot. Those who could do it well earned the reputation of a fast man with a gun. This role of quick-shooting gamblers also earned them a new role as frontier lawmen. It was these 10-star toting sporting gambling men who operated in Dodge City who became famous among the Western legends. One such legend operating in Dodge City in its heyday was Bat Masterson. Bat Masterson arrived in Dodge City in 1877, sporting a stylish cane to accompany his new gambler attire, including a derby hat. Masterson's first order of business was to purchase interest in the Lone Star Dance Hall. While he did well at the faro table, he also encountered some bad luck city marshal. Masterson settled this dispute after he was appointed as a Ford County Sheriff's deputy by having the city marshal fired. It was at the draw poker tables that men like Bat Masterson witnessed shooting scrapes between Gambler and Cowboy. This had been the case one evening between Gambler Frake Loving and Levi Richardson. Levi Richardson, a high-strung individual who was not afraid of any man, decided cockeyed Frank had done him wrong. Cockeyed Frank Loving was a mere boy at the time, and as a gambler he knew it best to carry a gun. 
He knew that being a gambler, he needed to be prepared to deal out the best he had when his man came. Richardson found Loving sitting unconcerned-like on a card table in the Long Branch Saloon. Richardson, seeing Loving, pulled out his forty-five caliber pistol and rapidly fired five rounds, missing every shot at Loving. Loving, on the other hand, took his time about his work and fired one clean shot, putting an end to the quarrel and sending Richardson into the sight of permanent darkness. Bluff Poker is a five-card stud poker game where the player plays a five-card hand against the dealer. Play starts when the player makes a five-card bet. The player will then receive five cards in their hand to play against the dealer. The player is trying for a pair, or better, to win the odds set on the house pay table for the game. If the player does not receive a five-card hand that qualifies for the pay table, the player will lose the five-card bet for the house odds, but will then be afforded to make another wager against the dealer's hand to save their money. The player can make the bluff bet when the player plays against the dealer hand. If the player has a higher five-card hand than the dealer, the player wins the bluff bet. The first bet the player makes to start the game is the five-card bet. This bet allows the player to receive a five-card poker hand to play for the house odds set for the table. The player wins this bet when the player has a five-card hand high enough to qualify for the house odds and is higher ranking than the dealer cards. The second bet the player is afforded is the bluff bet. This bet is made when the player does not have a hand high enough to qualify for the house pay table. The player can make this bet to play against the dealer hand for the highest five-card hand. If the player has a higher five-card hand than the dealer hand, the player wins the bluff bet, but loses the five-card bet. The player will be allowed to make a bonus bet before the game starts. This bet allows the player to play for the jackpot payout set for the predetermined hands on the table. This will be a $1 bet for the player. If the player chooses not to make the bonus bet, the player cannot participate in the jackpot payout if a jackpot hand is met. During the years of the great cattle drives, Dodge City to the gambler who worked the saloon saw them as either feast or famine. In the summer when the cowboys were on hand, money was plentiful and action in the Keno dens was non-stop. With the coming of fall and the departure of the cowboys, the sporting life slowed to a crawl. Most gamblers left for warmer climates, but some wintered in Dodge, beating their plight was depicted in the Dodge City Times of February 23, 1878. The festive sportsman is as keenly sensitive to the stringency in the money market as the merchant or mechanic. His bankroll, which last summer he flashed on every available occasion, now scarce ever sees the light of day. And when it does, the diminished proportions frighten his landlord, his washerwoman, and even himself, stem and bold as he is. In the place of twenties and fifties, he has ones and twos, and only occasionally does a five-caser meet his piercing eye. Time is more plentiful with him than anything else. He sits around in the sun during the day, or near some friendly stove by night. He relates to his comrades the thrilling scenes and incidents of his past checkered career, tells of the days when he won and lost by the thousands, and wore a diamond pin. At the recollection of those past flush times, he says, Damn such country as this, the Black Hills for me. But after a second thought, he takes it all back, and concludes to wait for the cattle trade. 
The game of Kino did not fall within the category of card, dice, or other wheel games. Yet Kino found its way into Dodge City and was played in some of the gambling houses known as Kino Den. The origin of Kino went back to a Chinese general who needed money to finance a war. According to a 2,000-year-old legend, the general developed a lottery game. The game required people to place small wagers to win a large payoff if luck was on their side. During the 19th century, Chinese railroad builders brought the game to the western United States. It became very popular in the gambling houses of the West. To play the game, players purchased a ticket or card. The ticket had three rows of five numbers printed on each card. The conductor of the game, known as the roller, sat on a raised platform next to the Kino table. On the table next to the roller was a Kino goose. The roller, or operator, released one ball at a time from the Kino goose, calling out in a loud voice the number inscribed on each ball. If the number appeared on a player's card, they would cover the number with a button. The calling of numbers and placing of buttons on the cards continued until a player had all five numbers in any of the three rows covered. The winner would call out Kino, and the operator stopped calling numbers or ceased play. A collector approached the players to verify the winning card. The amount of the winning pot was a total paid in by all the players for the round. The house usually received 10 to 15% of the pot. Chuckaluck originated in England and was one of the oldest dice games. The game was originally called Sweatcloth. The original name had a connection to how the game was played. A player proceeded cautiously, taking no risk or sweating out. Sweatcloth was known in the United States at least as early as the 1800, with the name generally shortened to Sweat. About 1820, it began to be known in some sections in the country as Chuckerluck, and by the Civil War, this had given away to Chuckluck. The Chuck cage was a wire cage shaped like an hourglass that rotated from top to bottom. Players bet on any number from one to six. The operator rolled the dice, paid out according to the numbers thrown, and kept the other stakes. Some gambling establishments only allowed one better per number and spread the bets out. If a player's number came up on one die, they were paid at odds of one to one. If the player's number came up on two dice, they were paid at odds of two to one. Chuckaluck sharpsters frequently used loaded dice, and most often the bars and bottom plates of the cage were magnetized. In the old days, many operators were adept at sliding one die down the outside of the funnel, while the others went tumbling between the bars. That's it for now. Remember to check out our Wild West podcast shows on iTunes, podcast, or at wildwestpodcastbuzzsprout.com. You can also catch us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash wildwestpodcast or on our YouTube channel at Whiskey and Westerns on Wednesday. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can learn more about the legends of Dodge City by visiting our website at worldfamousgunfighters.weebly.com. If you would like to purchase one of our books, you can go to worldfamousgunfighters.weebly.com slash books.html.